Hello, hello. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that Jason's 200-hour online teacher training is ready and open for enrollment. So he will be starting this next cohort on October 24th. We are right now in the early bird enrollment period where you get $300 off. So you can get all of the details about that training and register at learn.jasonyoga.com. We also have a webinar coming up on uh, September 14th where Jason will walk through how the training works. So there is a component of the training that are recorded. There's a lot of recorded content and practices and lectures. And then there are the 11 weeks of live calls with Jason with various times, various days of the week that you get to choose from. So he's going to walk through that in this free webinar that's coming up on September 14th at 9 a.m. Pacific. And you can register for that webinar at learn.jasonyoga.com slash webinar. And if you can't make it live, yes, we will send you a replay. Last thing, this episode focuses on how to practice and teach backbends for beginners. Jason has a whole specialized training within the 200 hour on how to teach beginners. So this is kind of a little preview to that, um, to give you a chance of seeing how he teaches and see how that resonates with you. And if you are interested in the beginners program, but are not interested in the 200 hour, you can do that self-paced as well. And that program is open at learn.jasonyoga.com slash beginners. Okay. I hope this was helpful. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm good. I'm hot. It is hot. And I don't mean like, you know, spicy. Yeah. Although I'm that too. Totally. Yeah. You. I was dropping that right in your lap. Yep. It's it, it, the temperature is significant. Yes. And also, we record in our garage. Yes. Which has a, a special way of of holding both hot air and also all of my the smell training of your keys. Yep, it does. <laughs> yeah. It does. So, so the the things that we do for the love of yoga in our community. I also just made us have like some forced family fun where we marched around by the beach with our dog and like like. 80 plus degree heat and super humidity. And our daughter insisted on wearing pants, sneakers, high top sneakers with socks and a sweatshirt. Yeah. So just looking at her makes me hot. Okay. Today we're going to do the first in our series of looking at categories of poses and how to both practice them and teach them for beginners. So today we're going to talk about backbends and how to make them beneficial for beginners. Yeah. And I think this. This conversation, and you just mentioned it, is equally applicable for those of you that are yoga students and you want to learn a little bit more about the different families of postures that we're going to work with. Um, And for those of you that are teaching, especially if you're teaching beginners, because teaching beginners, backbends, which we're going to talk about today, arm balances, which we're going to talk about upcoming, inversions, which we're also going to have an episode on, they can be a little intimidating to teach to newer students. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk through my favorite postures within these categories to teach, my favorite ways of teaching these poses, 
and talk about some of the benefits and some of the pitfalls of doing so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think the other thing for me to bring up right off the bat is obviously this podcast is just an audio podcast, but you're going to get a lot from it. Each week, I'm also going to be releasing a Yogaland Teacher's Companion. and Which is on YouTube. It's on YouTube. I mean, you can listen to it here, wherever you listen to, because there'll be an audio version. But I'm going to demonstrate how to teach each one of these poses. So these are, these are really built to work together. Yeah. I'll just want to add to that. You've been working really hard on YouTube for over a year now. Yeah. And so there's a lot of useful video tutorials and breakdowns if you want to go there. And if you subscribe, I think it gives you a little notification when there are new videos because it's not every single week, but it's, it's, not, it's, it's yeah. pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, okay. So backbends, I want to just say from the start that I think backbends are very complicated for most people. So most people coming to yoga, unless they have a background as a gymnast I'm trying to think of anything else. Even in dance, backbends are so different. Unless you have a back, back background as a gymnast, doing backbends is is it's a completely different experience and shape. And because the spine, you know, has different parts, some more movable than others, and then people's different genetic makeups contribute to that. Um, they can feel really strange in people's bodies. I am not a natural backbender. And so for me, backbends never really felt good until I learned about them in much more in depth, like in a training kind of situation. There might be people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum who you're teaching as beginners who are kind of really natural backbenders and they go to their absolute max every single time. So they're just a really interesting category of poses that we don't encounter in daily life. However, it's important to keep in mind that they're really beneficial for daily life, right? So when we sit in chairs and flex the hips all day, we are doing the opposite of what we do in backbending. We're doing the opposite along the front of our legs. We're doing the opposite along the front of our, our abdomen. We're doing the opposite in our upper back, in our neck. You know, we often, are, now we have tech neck, we're looking at our phones, so backbends are just so, so, so beneficial for people to have in their back pocket, but it's really, really important that they understand how to execute them the right way for their body. I think one of the important things to bring up in the general conversation that you're addressing is that also backbends, in addition to being unfamiliar and counterintuitive for many, when you do backbends, you will feel your back. And a lot of new students don't have, we don't really have the ability to distinguish between sensation and discomfort, right? And so, and people tend to have a lot of reticence in feeling sensations in the lower back at all. Mind often jumps from sensation in the back of the neck and sensation in the back of the lower back to equaling a problem. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, I kind of want to also throw out there that learning backbends as a new student is also a sensory education. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it really is. And it's a really important one because as you say, backbends have the ability to really help counteract and offset the mechanics of a daily life. Mm -hmm. We spend too much time with hip inflection and spine inflection. 
And so this equals really two simple takeaways physically. The front of the body tends to be unnecessarily short and tight, and the back of the body tends to be unnecessarily weak. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's very common that a teacher understands that the front body is tight. I, I certainly like got that my first decade of teaching yoga. Like, oh, the front of the shoulders are tight, the heart area is tight, the belly and the hip flexors are tight, quads are tight. But what I don't think I understood, and maybe more new teachers understand this in this generation than in my generation, um, the back is also really weak. In modern practitioners or modern, not even modern practitioners, just modern life, our back body is weak. Mm -hmm. Hamstrings are weak, glutes are weak, paraspinals are weak, scapular muscles are weak, back of the neck muscles are weak. And this is really a problem that we can address in back bends. Um, another thing that's so nice about these poses when you do start to work with them, right? So just kind of talking through what, why, why do we even want to teach these to new students? What are the benefits? Is when they're done properly, we have the opportunity to lengthen the front body and to strengthen the back body. So we have this opportunity really to lengthen quads, lengthen hip flexors, lengthen abdominals, lengthen anterior chest wall. We have the opportunity to strengthen the glutes, strengthen the hamstrings, strengthen the paraspinal, strengthen the posterior scapular muscles. And these, I think, should be really top-line physical priorities. And we, we say it all the time. We know, obviously, we know yoga is much more than physicality, but physicality is the front line that we're working with. And I, if I could take a step back and say one thing that in that in general, the general population needs is more length on the front and more strength on the back. Mm -hmm. It's so straightforward. So we have to figure out a way to do these. And also just, as I was saying, last kind of benefits I want to throw out there before we look at my favorite backbends to teach beginners and, and kind of how I focus on them um, is just like I was saying a moment ago, they give people much more sensory awareness of what's happening on their backside. You know, a lot of times we're not aware of sensation and proprioception on our backside unless there's a problem. And bringing your awareness into to feeling a, a healthy quality engagement and being able to perceive our backside is, is really, it's, it's a really valuable human thing. Mm -hmm. It is actually. I mean, it makes you more whole, Yeah, which is our goal. Okay. So I want to just before we get into your first pose, I see your first pose here. I see yeah. it. I know it. I love it because you have taught me to love it. There is a joke in your trainings that when you take the test at the end of the training, that if you simply answer this pose, you get 100%. Because locus this pose, pose. Yeah. Locus locus pose is the answer to everything. Heals everything. We don't even need to have a conversation. Everybody, do locus pose more. Bye. Thanks for listening to the episode. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we're gonna start with so we're gonna start with the prone backbend category, which just means that you're belly down. Yeah. And locus pose is your first one. So why is locus pose so beneficial? This could take the whole podcast. Okay. First, let, let's let's preview. There's really three backbending categories to teach beginners. Okay. There's face down backbends, there's kneeling backbends, and there's reclined backbends. When you're working with a more experienced population, there's also the world of inverted backbends like scorpion and hollow back and you know headstand dropbacks and so forth. But when you're working with beginners, I want you to all just kind of think, 
All right, there's three classifications. Face down or prone, kneeling, and then supine or reclined. And the reason that I put prone first, and then and we're going to get into the rationale for locust, and then a couple of specific details about teaching locust to beginners that's, that might be pretty different, okay? I tend to lead with more strength and stabilization over more flexibility and range of motion. I want both, and they both relate to each other. But my first priority in working with a student who's relatively new to yoga is to strengthen their backside even more than lengthen their front side. And so locust pose is so good because it's a body, it's, you can just think about it as a simple body weight exercise. Gravity is pressing down on you. And when you lift the head, the shoulders, the chest, the arms, the legs, you're strengthening the whole posterior chain. Everything literally from the arches of the feet through the calves, the hamstrings, the glutes, the paraspinals, the scapula, the cervical muscles, all the way into the back of the skull. The other thing about locust pose is it's, it's highly accessible for virtually every student, and it's also hard for virtually every student. So if I was, in, in, or another way of thinking about this is there are very few prerequisites for this pose, right? To do the deeper reclined or more advanced backbends, you have to have certain attributes, but pretty much everybody can do, can lay down and lift stuff up. Mm -hmm. And yet if you took me or you took you or you took the most seasoned students on the planet and you asked them to do locust pose, they still have to work for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's this very, very evergreen pose that strengthens the entire backside. And there's there's two details. And again, I, I'm probably going to keep saying the following. We are also releasing this Yogaland Teacher's Companion where I, I demonstrate the following. Okay. Right? Got okay? it. It's mm -hmm. important to remember that. Um, but there's a couple of things where I I want to I want to like highlight some details about locust pose for beginners and why this is important. So everyone, imagine what the arms are doing in locust. Your hands can be doing a couple of different things, but commonly the thumbs are facing the ground and the palms are facing the side body. So the arms are in a neutral position, and mm -hmm. that's not bad. But for beginners, I do not encourage that. For beginners, I like to have the palms face down. So the palms are facing the ground and the arms are elevating. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so you're lying on your belly. Mm -hmm. Where are your arms reaching back? Yeah, the arms are always reaching back in locust. Okay, and your palms are, okay. So yeah, you're, you're like so you, essentially so you, externally rotating your arms so that your palms face the ground. Yes, your palms face the ground okay. instead of your torso yes, or instead of your hips. Because what this does is this strengthens the external rotators of the shoulder. So exactly what you said, right? So it just adds another dimension of strengthening. And also, in general, with head forward position in life, with keyboard position in life, with thumbs on a device, those elbows are often flared. So the elbows mm -hmm. are out, the hands are in. And so that's another layer of weakness we tend to have is that external rotators of the shoulders, and so adding in that one little detail can be really beneficial. You're addressing something that is a need to be addressed. The other thing, and this is a bigger difference, right? So what the hips and legs are doing. So it is totally reasonable and appropriate to teach what most people teach with the legs. 
The legs are reaching back, the legs are parallel, and they're slightly internally rotated. Totally reasonable, but that is not my preference. What I prefer is the opposite of that. I prefer the legs slightly externally rotating and the legs hugging together. Now, depending on the shape of the legs, it might be the feet that come together, it might be the inner thighs that come together, it might be both, but I don't want the legs to stay apart. I like to suction them together mm-hmm. and allow the toes to turn out a little bit, okay. right? And, and the reason that this is, is like externally rotating the arms, when you adduct and when you hug together the thighs and you externally rotate them, you're getting more bang for your buck. You're strengthening the glutes more. You're strengthening the piriformis more. You're strengthening the adductors more. There's more musculature that you are recruiting with this way of working. And that external rotation in this pose is going to give you more strengthening. It is such a low range of motion pose that even people who are concerned about external rotation and backbends really have no reason to be concerned in this particular one. I like external rotation and backbends. I actually think it's preferable. Um, but at very least in this pose, you're just going to get more of that back body to light up and to work. Yeah. Okay. And then just really quickly, you mentioned that locust is hard for everyone. Which yeah. Can you talk about, so I really used to have so much resistance to doing this pose because I felt like it didn't look pretty. It didn't feel that great. It didn't, I felt like I wasn't doing anything because I wasn't lifting that far off the ground. Yeah. So can you address hundred percent? So here's what I think you should do. I think not only, not only should I address this, but I think as a teacher, you should address it. Um, So let's talk about really briefly why this pose is so kind of onerous. It's hard to breathe because your belly's pressing into the floor. The front of the diaphragm is pressing into the floor. And worse, it's a lot of work for not going very far. And the pose is not very stretchy. So it tends to be totally contrasting to what we think we want in yoga class, right? Um, So I used to loathe this pose because I didn't understand the long-term value in it, okay? So it's kind of like the idea of when you're a kid learning to brush your teeth. No, there actually isn't a lot exciting about it. Like brushing your teeth compared to eating candy, for someone that doesn't understand the long run, uh, one is much more pleasurable than the other. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't try to sell the pleasure of Shalabhasana, what I would try to to communicate is the long-term strengthening and postural value of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and I tell my students all the time, even in, even in experience level class, all right, when we're working these poses, just don't think about how how far you can go. This is not about range. Don't work super hard to go far. Mm -hmm. This is about tone, strength, control, and evenness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That reframing helped me a lot. And it, it is, it is like a, it's like a Swiss army knife of poses. I mean, it's strengthening you from like top to bottom. So it's going to affect everything else. I'll throw one more thing in, which is how you decide to include this pose to your new students depends. It might just be something that you put in the backbends phase of a class. But if you teach simple sun salutations to your students, to your beginners, and again, there's, there's pros and cons of that. But if you do, put this in. Mm-hmm. You, it's 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 about repetitions of this over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the next uh, pose that we're going to discuss in the 
I say belly down. What do you say? Prone, face down, Prone, belly face down. down. Okay. Any, anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next pose is cobra. Medium-sized cobra. Medium-sized Medium cobra. Medium-sized cobra. Medium-sized cobra. Yeah. Um, okay. Low cobra. To me, to me, in my mind, mm-hmm. there are three versions of cobra. There's a low cobra. There's a medium cobra. And there's full cobra. Mm-hmm. Cobra cobra. Low cobra. There's cobra kai cobra. There's cobra kai cobra. <laughs> By the way, we tried to watch Cobra Kai oh as gosh. that reboot. And I, I was a huge fan of Karate Kid. Yeah. I like martial arts. Yeah. I like kitsch. Right. It was hugely popular. I don't mean to offend anyone in our community. But we don't get it. I don't want to talk politics right. here. Mm-mm. But man, I didn't get it. And we watched the whole first season. I could not hook in. Don't mean to be divisive. but Don't mean to be divisive. And you know what? If you love it, you do you. Yeah, you do you. But we I'm give glad it a you big thumbs it. down. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But we give you a thumbs down. <laughs> we give it a thumbs down. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in low cobra, the hands are not used at all. So the hands are kind of hovering. And I like that. In fact, in teacher's companion, I'm going to probably throw that in. Okay. Um, and essentially, locust, po- excuse me, cobra pose without the hands pressing into the floor at all. So those hands hovering gives you a lot of the benefits of locus, but it's also a little bit more about scapular control because you can really teach students to retract the scapula. But let's focus on medium-sized. So medium-sized cobra to me is when you are pressing the hands into the floor, hugging the elbows in, retracting and descending the scapula, but not arching your spine to its maximum, right? So those hands are giving you some assist. Full cobra, cobra, kai, cobra is those arms are almost straight. Right. Cobra pose, the elbows never get fully straight. That's not the pose. They're always at least a little bit bent. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I really love about medium-sized cobra for beginners, okay, is you get that same strengthening of the backside that you get from locust, although admittedly a tiny bit less, but you get a little bit more understanding of scapular control Right, so you lift the front of the shoulders away from the ground, and that's that's actually achieved by scapular depression. You hug the elbows in, you get the scapula to come in, and then you also start to get a feel for a little bit more spinal extension, a little bit more actual motion of the spine. So medium-sized cobra to me is this nice face-down balance between strengthening and now actually starting to stretch. Mm-hmm. You're using those arms to get a little bit more thoracic motion, but it's it's still not, it's not overwrought. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then the third prone back then is Sphinx. Yes. Which I love. I, I love Sphinx. Sphinx. And it, this is one of these things. I feel like Sphinx, I think that because Sphinx is so mild, I feel like it's underutilized, but there's a couple of details in Sphinx that I think are, they're really overlooked. Okay. So I'm going to go over the most important one now. So I want everyone to imagine they're in Sphinx, elbows are directly under the shoulders, forearms are forward, palms are face down. Those forearms are parallel to each other. Okay. So first let's think about the pelvis in this pose. In locust pose, really just, we don't have that much nuance in pelvic position. Cobra pose, there's some nuance in pelvic position, but when you're working with new students, you can't tell them too many different things. So I would say with medium-sized cobra, you're really focused on the 
hands, arms, shoulders, and upper back. But in sphinx pose, you can really start to help them focus on what they're doing with the pelvis. And so you can get a little bit of that gentle posterior pelvic tilt. So you can you can get them to get that sense of gently pressing the pubic bone down. Yeah. Now, in general, there, there might be a, a listener or two that's like, wait a second. I didn't think we were supposed to pelvic, posteriorly tilt the pelvis anymore in backbends, right? Good catch. We totally are, depending on the situation, able to anteriorly tilt or posteriorly tilt the pelvis. There's a lot of different options. But when we are working with raw beginners and face down backbends, we probably want to have them default to some posterior pelvic tilt. So that little bit of getting a feeling of pressing the pubic bone down, I think is really, really key. Mm-hmm. The other big detail, because that's that's pretty common, but the big detail that's really overlooked, let's think about what the hands are doing. For virtually everyone that does this pose and teaches it, the hands and the arms are just kind of there. Maybe they're pressing down a little bit. But what I want every listener to do, especially if they've not done it, is do this pose with your arms pressed down, but then gently grab the floor and create a pulling action. So you're pressing down, you're pressing down, but you're also creating the action as if you're pulling the ground towards your belly, right? It's like you're, you're dragging that ground towards you. And when you do this as a student or when you communicate as a teacher, all of a sudden, the musculature of the back body comes alive and you start to understand how to create length in the spine, traction in the spine, how to engage the scapula, how to use the arms to connect to the upper back. And this is a really important skill. The arm to scapula to upper back connection is a huge technical importance when you're working in all back bends. And, and this is the just the easiest one to start to really dial in. And I just want to, you might talk about this in the teacher's companion, but when you say it's a good idea for beginners in this pose to uh, posteriorly tilt a little bit, press the the pubic bone down, is that because it helps stabilize the hips and the lower back so that they're using the strength of the mid and upper back in this pose? I wouldn't say it stabilizes because this is not a pose to me where there's any instability because your pelvis is pretty fixed on the ground. Mm -hmm. By slightly posteriorly tilting the pelvis, you're going to... um, you're going to create a little bit more length in the lower back. You're going to you're going to slightly. I don't want to say decompress. You're going to slightly unarch the lower back. Yeah. So that there's more distribution of the curve from the lower back to the mid back to the upper back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's and it's it's slight. It's subtle, uh, but it's going to start to get people to get that feel of, oh, if if I allow my pelvis to tilt a tiny bit one direction, I feel a little bit more of this. Mm -hmm. If I let it tilt the other direction, I feel a little bit more of that. So educating students to become more sensitive to their own pelvic position, regardless of what in the long run they prefer in their backbends, is valuable. Okay. Okay. Moving on to the next category. So the kneeling backbends, and in this category, you've got camel pose. Yeah. Or a version of anjaneyasana or low lunge. So let's start with camel. Yeah, so two kneeling backbends, camel pose. Now, camel pose, I've been practicing yoga for a very long time. Camel pose is still, I won't say that I am completely resolved in my relationship to camel pose. 
And I think it's a really tricky, of all the backbends that I'm, I'm putting out there today, I think this is the trickiest, okay? But there's a couple of things that I like if we have some, some mild reservations in how we teach the pose. First, the thing that I like about this pose is it's, we've started with those face down backbends and in the face back, face down backbends, the pelvis is not that free because the pelvis is like fixed to the ground. You can tilt it a little bit one way or another, but the pelvis can't move much in space. So in camel pose, now your pelvis is a lot more free to tilt in different ways, but also to move forward and back. So when I'm working with this with beginners, I like to do it two ways. First, I like to have them just take their hands and hold their hips. So they take their thumbs to the top rim of the buttock, right? This is kind of the, the, the back part of the ilium or, or even just the top of the butt. Top of the glutes is fine. And then index fingers just on the, on the iliac crest, on the sides of the hips, right? Elbows hug in so you get that, that little chest opening. And then with the hands, I like to create like a little grounding action, like you're pulling down on the pelvis. Counter that with lifting the spine up and taking a tiny little backbend. So in this first version, we're not taking the hands to the heels. And also this first version, the, the amount of spinal curvature is so modest that we don't have to fuss with the neck. The neck is not gonna start to, the neck doesn't start to get into like a challenging position, but for your new students, I promise they're gonna register this as a stretch. Their quads are gonna stretch, their hip flexors are gonna stretch, the front of their belly and chest are gonna stretch a little bit. And it also just gives them a lot of, uh, a little bit more feeling of space. The other thing, if you co contrast this to the face down backbends, your breath is a little bit more free hmm. because your belly's not pressed into the ground. The front ribs aren't pressed into the ground. So even though it's a, it's a very modest backbend done this way, I feel like there's a little bit more potential for that, that feeling of spaciousness. The face down backbends, more about strength, control, skillful use. Now we're starting to have a little bit more freedom and space. The second way we can do this, which is really common, there's a lot of teachers that do this, which is taking the fingertips to blocks. So you just put blocks on ends, like blocks on their end. So they're on the highest setting next to the hips. Um, and then take the fingertips of the block. There's some details about this that I'm going to lay out in the companion. But when you take those fingertips to blocks, we want to externally rotate the arms. So the thumb is going to be facing, the thumbs are going to be facing forward. The fingers are going to be facing backwards. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, because we want to, we, we want new students to understand the ro the rotation of the arm in this back bend. The nice thing about this is, it's pretty accessible for many back for many beginners, right? To go a little further and get those fingertips down. It's a little bit more opening, a little more more spacious. I remember when I was when I first practiced camel, I remember f having this sense of like, oh, I'm doing yoga now. Like it just felt a little bit more like I was doing a shape that was that that at no other scenario in my life would I ever do. Mm -hmm, that's right? true. Yeah. You know. The tricky thing with everyone, and we could go on about this, but I'm going to make it really simple. If you get to the point where you're having your beginners take their fingertips to blocks, that's where 
what what do we do with the head? Right, the neck. This is neck. this is where it gets really d- difficult and confusing right away. So I'm going to cut to the chase and say, just keep the chin slightly tucked. Okay. When, when you're at the fingertips to blocks height or the hands on hips height, you are not at the let the head drop back behind you height. I promise. Okay. So without getting into like all the details of how to keep that cervical continuity with the thoracic spine, the bottom line is you let the head and neck go when you have a really deep back bend. I, years ago, edited a very long, intricate anatomy column by Roger Cole about what to do with the neck in camel pose. And I can tell you that I still don't really, can't really do what was suggested to do. It's, so it's not, it's, it is tricky. This is where I, I think this is where we can just be like completely yeah. honest. There's not a great solution for no, the there head isn't. and neck. There isn't. Unless you are a really deep backbender. Right. And if you're a really deep backbender, you let the head and neck go. Absolutely. And it, and and it's it feels amazing. great. Exactly. But, but, but this is where I, I, let me throw out one more thing with this. Okay. This is where another sentiment, like another basic concept to take anytime you're working with beginners is I would say when you're working with beginners or if you're working with, a big challenge or a deficiency, more repetitions, shorter duration of time. So having people like be in camel pose for seven, eight, nine, ten breaths, if the head and neck are like not perfectly resolved is too much. Mm-hmm. It's better to have people like be there for two breaths, come out, pause, couple of breaths, repeat. So more repetitions shorter duration when you're when you're learning a skill. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So chin just a little bit tucked into the chest for this population. Okay. Okay, so then let's talk about Anjaneyasana or this variation of of low lunge that's that's you want people to try. Yeah, so I call beginners. it new school on I, I to me to me there are two main versions of Anjaneyasana. There's old school Anjaneyasana and there's new school Anjaneyasana. And to be honest, I have a place in my heart for both. Mm-hmm. But for beginners, I only have a place in my heart for new school. Okay, so I, I'm just going to, and again, this will be something that I demonstrate, but I, I think you can picture this, okay? Old school Anjaneyasana, you're in just a normal lunge, you bring the back knee down, both hands are on the front knee or reaching overhead, doesn't matter. But in old school Anjaneyasana, you're very passive in your lower body and you're sinking the hips forward and down. So the hips are heavy and low. It's kind of like you're going into a squat on the front leg and that back leg is passively taking the weight of the pelvis and the upper body. The other thing in the old school Anjaneyasana is the pelvis is forward of the back knee, right? It's like going forward and down. It's almost like Crescent lunge, like imagine crescent lunge, but bring the knee to the floor and just sag forward and down, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm i not going to, on this podcast, say this is a bad pose and we shouldn't do it. It's a good pose, but I think we want to, to uh, I think we want to do it in a, in a more limited capacity because it's a lot of weight on the anterior capsule of the hip. And for a lot of people, it's mistargeted. It doesn't really get to the quads very well. 
because everything is so slack, it puts a lot of stress on just one small part of the hip flexor and the anterior part of the hip socket. You really have to be working your upper body in a very specific way, I think, in that pose to yeah. not do those things. Yeah, and yeah. so I would say to do that, there's more risk and and it takes a little bit more, well, I'll just say, I think it's, yeah. it's not what we want to So let's to talk target. about the one that we do want to New do. school, yeah. okay? So for anyone that does any functional training, right? This there's an easy answer to this, which is essentially you're just in a split squat. Okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain that to people that don't know what that means. But for those of you that have an understanding of functional training, you're just in a you're in a split squat. For those of you that don't, new school anjaneyasana, the first thing that you want to think of is making a shorter stride. So the front shin is vertical, kind of like new school Anjaneyasana, but the back thigh is vertical. So you bring the back knee to the floor. So I'm, let's pretend my yeah. right foot is forward, okay? Mm-hmm. So my right foot is forward and my left knee is on the ground. Mm-hmm. Old school Anjaneyasana, there's a lot of distance between my left knee and my right foot. My hips are kind of going forward and down. Mm-hmm. My back leg is at an angle. My pelvis is forward of my back knee. New school Anjaneyasana my front foot is down, my right foot's down, my back knee is my left knee. My back thigh is straight up and down. Mm-hmm. My pelvis is directly above my back thigh, which is directly above my back knee. And my torso is directly above, right? So there's, there isn't that hanging forward and down. There is a plumb line from the top of my head, through my spine, through my pelvis, through my back thigh, and into my back knee. So it's a much shorter stride. The thing that is so nice about this and to make it work, I'm going to give a detail or two about now how to make it work is it doesn't put the same kind of anterior stress into the front of the hip socket. And at very least for a new student, this is probably a good thing. This is probably a good, important safety thing. The other thing is this is a little bit more of a contained, stable pose, Now, to make this work, you are more active. So you press the back foot firmly into the floor. You accentuate posterior pelvic tilt, so you lengthen the buttock down, and you draw the front ribs in. So it's it's a more of an engaged, upright way of working into the back thigh and back hip flexors as opposed to a longer, more passive way. Yeah, and they'll feel it more along the back front of the back thigh. They'll feel it more and they'll feel it in a much more distributed way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Most people, when you do old school Anjaneyasana, you do not feel your thigh at all. You feel more like your hip. You feel the very top of the hip. And if you think that that is the hip flexor, I got an anatomy course to sell (laughs) you. Because it's mostly the anterior part of the joint structure that you're putting load into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got our last category here, which is our reclined backbends. And for beginners, we're going to talk about a version of bridge pose and then reclining over a block. Yes. That last one, Anjaneyasana, I want to make a quick acknowledgement. I'm kind of stretching the terms of a backbend when I put that one in. Right. I really am. This is more of like an epic preparation for backbends. Mm -hmm. It's a prep. It's a compliment. It fits in that family. Typically, there's not a lot of spinal backbend right. in this, okay? So I just want to make that acknowledgement that this is really about targeting the front of the thigh and the front of the hip. It's a backbend milieu pose, right. but it's, it's not gonna, a classic It's backbend. going to help 
your back bends. 100%. A lot. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go to bridge pose. Yeah. How do you want them to work on or teach bridge pose? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep my blood pressure and mansplaining down when we talk about this bridge. I said this so many times as have many other people feet hip width apart and parallel in backbends, including bridge pose, is a-okay. But it is not better, nor is it more safe than feet wider than the hips and slightly turned out. Taking the feet a little bit wider than the hips and slightly turning the feet out actually isn't a mechanism for sacroiliac compression or lower back compression. Just actually isn't a mechanism. The mechanism for compressing the lower back is going too far. Whether your feet are parallel, whether your feet are wide, the thing that compresses the lower back is extending it too far. Taking the feet out doesn't do that in and of itself, okay? So I have, I have literally no problem with new students having their feet parallel and hip width apart. But what I prefer for new students, and actually for a lot of students, not just new, is feet about as wide as the mat instead of about as wide as the hips and ever so slightly turned out. So same bridge that we always do, same techniques that are pretty standard, but a wider base. The reason that I really prefer that wider base, and again, it's, if you think about the width of the hips versus the width of the mat, it's not a huge difference. If you think about the feet being slightly turned out as opposed to slightly turned in, it's not a huge difference. But that little bit of additional space is going to do a couple of things for most beginners. Number one, it's going to slightly decrease the resistance that the quads and hip flexors are presenting to you. Because when each leg is further away from each other, the resistance that when the legs are together, they're, the resistance of the right side and the left side, are they are combined. But when the legs are further apart, the resistance on the right side and the left side are not combined. Like it's a, it's, it's a little bit more like that chain is slightly broken. And so when the feet are wider, you're going to have a little bit less hip flexor and quadricep resistance. Same goes when the feet are a little bit turned out. The feet a little bit, to, I, well, here's what I will tell you. I can promise you yoga is the only movement, literally the only movement discipline that is just absolutely bent on the thighs being internally rotated during a backbend. There's no other movement discipline that actually agrees with this. Yeah. And I have to say, I love yoga. It's so sophisticated in so many ways. This is a place, I think we're in this like 60-year game of telephone and follow the leader instead of kind of really understanding the, the optimal position of the femurs for hip extension and allowing a little external rotation to the, to the thighs actually helps those hip flexors unwind a little bit. You're going to have more space and freedom. You're going to have probably less compression, mm -hmm. certainly not more. Mm -hmm. Okay, So feet a little bit wider just lets that front side unwind a little bit more. Feet a little bit wider also typically helps us recruit the muscles on the backside more. So there's, there's easier access to using hamstrings and glutes. And that should, be a, that should be a basic priority. 
um, is that the muscles on the front side are lengthening and the muscles on the back side are strengthening, right? We said, kind of said that at the beginning, like, let's get back really quickly to why are we even doing these poses? Mm-hmm. Well, because we're, we want a little bit more length on the front and a little bit more strength on the back. So that slightly greater width and foot position is, is going to help us achieve those goals without setting, without incurring greater risk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what do we want them doing with like the shoulders and the spine in this version of the pose? There's a couple of things, and this is another thing I'll lay out. I actually really like for new students in bridge to hold the sides of their mat because bridge pose to me starts to come alive when you get your shoulders underneath you. So to get that opening, right? So so everything that I was just kind of talking about is more about the lower half of the body. But one of the great things about bridge pose is that heart opening, that thoracic opening, right? To get that, you have to get the shoulders underneath you. You have to get the arms underneath you. And you kind of have like, you'll see, you'll see commonly people have two options in bridge. Interlace the fingers underneath you, if you can, or arms alongside you, oftentimes palms face down. There's other things you can do, but if you don't have the flexibility to interlace the fingers underneath you, then those arms, when they're separate and palms face down, they're just kind of slack. Like they're not, they're not really contributing to the pose. Mm-hmm. But when you hold the sides of the yoga mat, then it's easier to get one shoulder underneath. Also, by holding the sides of the yoga mat, you have to externally rotate the arms. Mm -hmm. Also, by holding the sides of the yoga mat, you have something to grip onto and something to slightly pull against. Mm -hmm. So holding the sides of the yoga mat is the same as interlacing the fingers. But for new students, everyone can hold the sides of the yoga mat not everyone can interlace their fingers. Okay. So the, and, and then once that's happening, those arms are just rooting down. And I'll, I'll go into a couple more details of that. That might be a little bit harder thing to envision. So definitely. Watch the video. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last pose would be reclining over a block. So we're talking about opening the front of the chest and the upper back with this one. Yeah. I feel like the sooner we get exposed to some sort of passive opener, the better. So I said reclining over a block. It might be reclining over a block. It might be over a foam roller. It might be over a bolster. It might be over a rolled blanket. But for new students, I really love having some scenario, some supported mild scenario where they, where people are laying their mid to upper back. We'll, we'll say the the space between their shoulder blades is where we're putting some sort of thing and we're gently backbending over that thing. I like to to be active with the arms. So I like when I do this, everyone imagine that you're in headstand, right? And you're cradling the back of the head and you're gently hugging the elbows in. That's the position that I like the arms to be for new students in a passive backbend. Otherwise, the arms just get kind of floppy and then the neck gets kind of weird. So you just cradle the back of the skull, hug the elbows in, and then kind of as if, imagine you're, you're sitting down, like you're going to do bridge, 
but you haven't done bridge. You're just sitting, butts on the ground, feet are on the ground. You just put something back behind you that you're going to roll over, lay back. Then once that upper back gets to the bolster or the block, you interlace the fingers, hug the elbows in, support the back of the neck, and then roll over it. And this is really, really valuable. Okay. Yeah. Great. And this is this is now the perfect complement to locust, right? Because in locust, we have this very distributed, very strength-focused posture. Now we have this reclined backbend. And in this reclined backbend, we're passive, we're spacious, we're targeted towards some of our tightest mid to upper back and shoulders region. So if we, if we see this whole arc, right, you kind of see this whole arc, as teachers or as students, you can, be, you can be using any one of these poses in your class, but you could also be using this whole thing as a, as a, as a continuum. Like yeah. this could be a sequence of backbends. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, we have a number of sequences um, that I will link to in the show notes on our website that you can utilize as you after you listen to this podcast. We have a sequence for camel. We have a neck and shoulder sequence. We've got, I know we've got a bunch of locust stuff in here. So I will link to those in the show notes. And thanks so much, Jason. I'm looking forward to the, the next one, which will be arm balances, right? Yeah, we're going to do... One for arm balances, yeah. and then we'll do another one for inversions. Right, okay. And then let me just plug one more time. So each week, we're gonna f- we will release this audio episode first, which is like the big context. And then a day or two or three later, so another time that week, we'll do a, a teacher's companion where I go through and I teach all of these poses and just like break it down a little bit more. Great. Yeah. Okay. So I will link to those sequences in the show notes. And then once the teacher's companion is up, I'll link to that as well. But you can find that on our YouTube channel. And I will put the show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 310. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for emailing us for joining our newsletter list for joining my Substack, which is yogaland.substack.com we love hearing from you and uh looking forward to hearing how this all works out for you so let us know you can find us and all the all the places instagram mainly all right everyone until next week enjoy your practice <laughs>